Welcome to At Home with Hunter. My name is Hunter. Obviously. Hey, this is Hunter, and this is my first ever episode of At Home with Hunter. I am so excited. We're going to be talking all kinds of home things, and uh, today we've got Chris with One Hour Heating and Air on. Chris, hello. How's it going? Doing great. How about yourself? I am doing fabulous. Thank you for being here. Uh, obviously, Chris is in the HVAC business, so we're going to talk today about uh, do-it-yourself HVAC stuff. What can you do at home to keep your systems running longer? What do you need to hire a professional for? And then we're going to talk about the infamous attic project and how I can get uh, it cooler than 120 degrees up there. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself. Fantastic. Yeah, it, it is definitely warm outside. Uh, I guess we're in summer full swing now. So we've got the heat and the humidity. Um, oh, definitely. All those things are obviously very taxing for uh, heating and air, or, uh, air conditioning equipment. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, we've had a family business since 1976. Um, it was started as Star, uh, Star Service. Uh, my dad started it when he got out of the, uh, the Navy. And as it progressed, we became um, partners with a franchise, and that's where we got our one-hour name about 13, yeah, 13, 14 years ago now. Um, so that's one-hour heating and air conditioning. And then we have two other sister companies under the same umbrella, which is Benjamin Franklin Plumbing and Mr. Sparky Electrical. Um, so, I mean, I was raised in the family business. Um, I spent many uh, dinner table conversations talking about heating and air, electrical, plumbing, you name it. <laughs> I totally understand. Yeah, it's the kind of family I come from. So it, it was obviously very interesting. And I guess as you look back on it as, you know, being an adult now, um, it obviously did a lot of good things to prepare yourself for owning a home, um, for maintaining a home, and, you know, some of the things that we'll talk about here today. Definitely. And we talked about this before. I grew up in a similar household. My dad was a contractor. We talked jobs and ideas and things at the dinner table. So totally understand. And you're right. It helps contribute to and kind of frame the way you look at home owning and projects and what things you think you can do, what things you think you can't do, what things you obviously need to call a professional for or some things that we could take care of on our own. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. What part of the HVAC process can I take care of on my own that's going to take care of my system and make it last longer and be more efficient? Because you certainly don't want your air going out in the middle of July because because that just sounds miserable. Not fun at all. No. All right. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of rapid fire questions. And I might throw in some personal questions and some follow-ups, but these are random questions that people have submitted to me on my Instagram and my Facebook, and the people want to know. So question number one, is a dirty filter better than no filter? Or if your filter is dirty, should you just leave out the filter until you can get to the store and buy a new one? Very good question. All right, so filters is obviously a... a very important part to your heating and air conditioning system. Right. Um, it's mainly there to to block, um, you know, dirt, dust, debris, things of that nature, so that your unit can operate properly. Um, a dirty filter is is no, not good. Um, a typical filter, even though they say on the pack, a lot of times it can go ninety days. Keep mm -hmm. keep in mind they test these things in a controlled environment. Most filters do not make it to ninety days whatsoever. Um, we have so like dogs and cats. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah, you got dogs, you got cats, uh, kids coming in and out of the house, doors open, windows open, stuff like that. So, I mean, it, they get dirtier quicker than, than what they say on the package. Um, my recommendation for all my customers and, and for all my guys is just put it in the Google Calendar or whatever you use for reminders or whatever. Just do it once a month. Um, you don't need to buy the super fancy filter. Yeah, you don't need to buy the super fancy filter either. Um, a lot of times that can cause actual detriment um, versus, you know, helping you out uh, with allergies or whatever's on the package. Um, a dirty filter, how long should it remain dirty and stay in there until you get a new one? Um, filters are fairly accessible if you're using regular stuff. Um, so it's not going to hurt once you realize it to keep it in there for, say, two days, three days before you slide by the store and get you a new one. Um, so, I mean, I would most certainly go that route. Um, it's not good to take it out, forget about it, and then not get to it for a week. Um, right. That would not be a good thing. But, um, so I mean, just to keep you on the same schedule, I, I recommend the Google Reminders or whatever reminder you use in your phone. And, uh, yeah, keep it in there for another couple of days until you get that clean one. That's, that's definitely the better route to take. Now, this question has caused a lot of debate, especially in my house. So, I read on the internet... So I have no idea how accurate this actually is. So I read on the internet that the ideal temperature in your house is 78 degrees and you should set your thermostat to that and leave it to that and just use fans. Is that true? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Because my husband is going to divorce me if I turn my AC up to 78 degrees. Okay. So you have kind of a two-part question there. Um <laughs> Yeah, we, we call them thermostat wars in, in, yeah. in our world or in our company. And, and it's very common. You're, you're not alone. Um, you're not the only one. And you're not the only one even on your block that, that has the same problem. Um, yeah, you don't want to start a war over the thermostat. You know, <laughs> one, one person goes down two degrees. One, the next person walks by goes up three degrees. Yeah, that, that's not a good path process to take for a thermostat. Right. Um, God, if you ask, Hunter, if you ask me, 78, I, I, I would not be able to live. My brain would not function at, at its highest levels, level possible at 78 degrees inside my house. Yeah. Um, one reason being, I mean, if you've got it set at 78, your humidity is going to be a little bit higher too because your, your air conditioner is not running as much. So you're not pulling out humidity. I would say Absolutely. ideal. If you, if, you, if you tried to pin me down and go with an ideal temperature – as far as cost to comfort, um, I would say anywhere in the 72 to 74 range. Um, well, so I win. Probably. Yeah. I if you're playing winners, I yeah, have win 72. <laughs> Many families like it at 69. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It just, uh, obviously, you're going to pay a little bit more for it. Um, right. And it's going to tax equipment a little bit more. But I mean, it doesn't tax the equipment or, you know, detriment the equipment really any more than, you know, just keeping it at 71 or 72. Now, I will say if you want to tag off that, I'm not sure if this is going to be one of your next questions, but um, a lot of people like to use programmable thermostats, mm -hmm. which are great. They're awesome to use. And it, it's that was a question. Nowadays. Yeah, you probably got like Nest comments or uh, mm -hmm. Lyric comments from Honeywell. And there's different ones out there. Echo B. Um, so, I mean, our, our technicians love to use the Echo B thermostat. It's, it's a great smart thermostat. When you use any type of programmable thermostat, 
I think the, the biggest thing to remember is when you use your, like at nighttime settings versus daytime settings, you, you really don't want that differential. So the, the difference between those two numbers to really be any higher than probably four degrees. Okay. Um, and the reason for that being is when you now wake up in the morning and it needs to come back down to temperature um, that you know, you're used to in your home, it costs more to achieve that four degree differential than it would if you just left it running at say 72 all night. Um, so usually your differential between daytime, nighttime, um, whether you use plus or minus, some people like to sleep in colder, some people like to sleep in, in warmer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would try to make that less than four degrees and really less than three if you want my. Yeah, because that was another one of my thing, questions. It's another thing that you hear. Don't change your thermostat more than two degrees one way or another at a time because it's going to pull too much energy. And so I guess you're kind of saying the same thing. You don't want to change it 10 degrees one way or any other. Kind of the same thing, and, and even more so in heating season. So if you're dealing with a heat pump, right, most people have heard of uh, emergency heat or backup uh -huh. heat, supplemental heat, whatever you like to call it. When that comes on, you're drawing, I mean, anywhere from two and a half to like four times the amount of power is just the heat pump um, oh, in wow. terms of electricity dollars. So if you go by that thermostat and change it three degrees, that's going to pretty much tell you that you're requiring a higher demand and your emergency heat's going to come on when it really doesn't need that. It just okay. needs a little bit of heat to come back up to temperature. So whenever you're going to the thermostat, try not to change that thing anything more than two degrees. Just go up okay. two or down two, let it satisfy, wait another whatever time, and then go back to it if you need to. Okay, so a follow-up question to that. What if you go on vacation? So I, I've i always been of the mindset that I'm going to leave my AC the way that it is because, you know, what if something happened while we're gone? And I don't want to come home to my house being 120 degrees. So I've always just left the thermostat on regular whatever. But I know that a lot of people and people have commented to me during this process that when they go on vacation, they turn it one way or another, depending on the season, to save money, to save energy. Is that really doing anything? Especially when you get home and you have to jump from one degree to another degrees. Yeah. So that's a great question, by the way. Um, if it's a quick trip, like, I don't know, say three to four days, maybe, mm -hmm. um, I would just go down a couple degrees, maybe three, four, you know, nothing huge. If you're going for the whole week, you can probably bump it down or up, depending on the season you're traveling. Um, you can bump it up or down at least five, five to seven degrees and it, it'd still be efficient. Um, another great thing to tag off that, and if, if you're worried about things of that nature when you're either out of town, traveling for work, whatever it might be, um, is to, to get a smart thermostat. Because one, you can change it from your phone. So you can change temperature from your home, home phone. And you can also, obviously, it tells you what temperature it is inside the home. So it, that leads you to believe if it's a problem or not while you're away. Um, so that is a great thing to do. They're, they've come down in price. They're not as pricey as they used to be. So it's a little yeah. bit more affordable these days. But uh, yeah, no, the smart thermostats are great. I recommend those for each one of our customers as long as they've, they like the technology side of things. I have heard that people can hack into those. Is that a thing that we should be worried about? I, I mean, I have heard that. I, no, I would not worry about that. I, mean, I, I don't want to be on record saying saying that because it could happen. Anything's obviously hackable. 
But right. if somebody's really hacking into your home to try to find out what your you know temperature is and what your your settings are, then I'm not quite sure what they'd be after. That's one of the things. So my husband is very much into smart technology. We have an Alexa in literally every room, all the lights and the TVs and all the things. And he's like, we need to get a smart thermostat because it's one thing that we don't have. And then, so I'm Googling. Google is not your friend sometimes, by the way, because it puts the worst case scenario in your face. It said people are be. I read that people are having their HVAC hacked into. Oh, God, that's awful. Yeah, I, I can't imagine anybody wanting to do that. And I I don't worry about that personally. But um, I know it can be a concern. But it's now Alexa's a little bit different story. There's been some more articles on that out there. Yeah. But um, the Echo B actually has Alexa in it. So you can, the ones that we use in our installs, you can literally walk up to Alexa, your thermostat, in the hallway and say, Alexa, I want to hear garth brooks and she's gonna play garth brooks that's really cool all right so i'm gonna make a recommendation to the husband i'm sure by this time next week we'll have amazon alexa thermostat situation going on (laughs) um all right so here's another question we're gonna pivot a little bit we're gonna talk about the units themselves cost effectiveness and how do you extend the life of a unit is there a way to clean it do you power wash it what do you do with these giant things that are sitting outside of your house to make sure that they're gonna last a long time because they're they're really expensive to replace right oh yes yeah no that those are very good questions as well um yeah it, it is it is expensive to replace those things and when it comes to maintenance, um, from an efficiency standpoint, we're mainly looking at keeping those coils clean. So anytime we're dealing with a system, you know, an air conditioning system, we've got the outdoor unit, which everybody knows about. You cut grass, you weed eat around it. You know, it's always out there on the back of the side of the house. Um, that unit is paired with another unit inside the home or in the crawl space, attic space, um, through refrigeration lines. So you got a line set connecting the two units together, and then you've either got a furnace or an air handler inside, of which there's another coil inside the home. So we have two coils that we need to keep clean. Outdoor coil, the indoor coil. Um, Outdoor coil is obviously a little bit easier. You know, you can just unwind the hose, you know, put your sprayer of choice on there. I wouldn't use a power washer. That's probably gonna be a little too strong. So to steer away from the power washer, that's, that's uh, basically the coil is most people can visualize uh, a radiator on a car, mm-hmm. same sort of thing. So same pretty much thing, just in a different shape, of course. And just like a radiator on a car, you know, a car drives best with clean air. Right. So we want to make sure that coil is clean on the outdoor unit and the indoor unit. Um, and the reason being, just like in a car, if, you know, dirt, dust, grime, whatever gets on that radiator, you know, it's, the engine starts to run a little bit hotter because it's not cooling properly. So when things run hot, I mean, what tends to happen? Things tend to break. Fall apart. Yeah, of course. So they, they tend to start to fall apart, start to break down quicker than normal. Um, so having that clean coil, both indoor and outdoor is, is crucial and, that's usually our main, you know, objective on a tune-up is making sure that we get those coils clean. So that's something that our guys are very focused on when it comes to tune-ups. Um, the other side of things for, for maintenance and stuff like that we can talk about as well. But th- that is the main 
the main things that need to be tackled. The outdoor one can, can probably be done if you're not worried about a chemical clean, which is what our guys do and what most technicians do in the field is do a, you know, a light chemical clean on the outdoor unit and then spray it off. Um, you don't want to use something too aggressive. Um, you don't want to use something, you know, that can break down the coil. Right. In that coil, you have aluminum and, and copper in most cases. Um, so you don't want to you have to degrade any of that stuff. So a light chemical clean, spray it off with the hose. That's usually good for, for the outdoor unit. The indoor unit is usually what it's, you know, it's really, it's, you know, tight spaces, mm-hmm. um, clean the top and the bottom. So it's a little bit harder to get to. Obviously, you got to take doors off, switches and stuff like that. Um, so that's usually where people generally make uh, the decision to have a company come in and, and do a, an actual clean. Yeah, because you don't want to mess that up. That's, that's usually what I hear from customers. I, mean, I don't, I don't want to mess it up. That's great. That's, that's what we're here for. That's, that's why HVAC companies exist. So we want to exactly. help. I feel like if we could do it by ourselves, you know, either people are going to get hurt or they're just going to mess it up and we're going to have to call a professional anyways. So you might as well let the pros handle the it. Or unit. You, you can do that. It's not like you got to wait six months to do it. You can right. spray it off every time you, you know, every other time you cut your grass or something. How often do you recommend having your like system cleaned? Every six months. So every six months, um, certainly yearly, certainly yearly. Um, But every six months is actually recommended by most of your manufacturers out there. I feel like that's so important. And that's like something that no one knows. (laughs) Yes, it is very important. And no one knows. And I'm not saying it goes like this all the time. But if that manufacturer ask for your maintenance records and you have to provide them to them. Um, if you're dealing with a repair at the time, they, they can technically deny it if, if you haven't okay. done your maintenance properly. Um, now I'm not, most of my manufacturers, um, I don't know if it's like this for all companies, but most of my manufacturers, they, they don't really ask me for the, for the maintenance records all that much. Um, but other than that, they, they know that we follow the process and they've, you know, our, most of our customers do as well. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's definitely recommended by the manufacturer every six months, um, certainly every year, um, to make sure your warranties, you know, stay up. And I will say with the newer systems, the newer systems are much more finicky in respects to having the proper maintenance. So the old systems R 22, you know, back, you know, 15 plus years, um, they were a little bit more forgiving. They're a little bit more forgiving on the refrigerant, the ductwork, the maintenance. They were just forgiving all around a little bit more. And with the new stuff, it, it is much more conducive to having the proper maintenance, proper ductwork, and proper installation. Okay. So how long does a typical unit last? Like we had just talked about, I moved in my house a year ago. I have a brand new HVAC system. It was probably turned on the, the day that we closed for the first time ever. Uh, how long is a system like that supposed to last? Great question. And you'll, you'll get some conflicting, uh, answers here, but they're, they're all in about the same range. Um, the national average is right around 12, 13 years. So in that 12, 14 year mark, um, it's most of your systems in a residential setting nowadays, as long as you have an approved contractor, put it in, you get 10 year parts. Um, as far as your warranty. So, you know, at least you're covered for the 10 year, you know, part warranty side of things, but it's one of those things. If you've got a large repair and you're at that 10 year mark already, most people just go ahead and bite the bullet. Let's do it. 
right. you know, don't, don't good money after bad. Um, but I mean, we've seen them go still as long as, you know, 15 to 17 years, but the days of having 20 year old systems, those, those are virtually yeah. gone. Okay. I feel like that's just the kind of the way the world works now. I feel like when I first started driving, my car was old as dirt and now Things just don't last as long. I think it's just kind of a universal thing. Things just don't last as long as they used to. It's very true. And we actually speak to our customers in, in terms like that because it does help pull it together. I mean, TVs right. don't last as long anymore. Refrigerators don't last as long anymore. So, I mean, it's no. luckily we're not as bad as those. When those break, you just buy a new one. At least right. you can fix ours. Exactly. Uh, until we get to that. But, uh, you know, it, the days of that sort of thing. Yeah, unfortunately, life expectancy is getting you know shorter in that angle versus longer. Okay. Uh, this is the last random question, and then we're gonna move into my attic project. Um, and this is a, actually a question from my husband. He wants to know: Is it more cost effective to have an electric system or to go to a a gas system to convert over? Okay. To hmm. One setup, you're going to have two bills. So you got to look at that side of things. Right. You have a natural gas bill or a propane bill if you don't already have natural gas to the home. And then, of course, you got the electric side as well. Um, as far as one versus the other, if you already have gas to your home, being natural gas, mm-hmm. I believe it's a little bit more effective. One, you get a better heat from it. That's what I've heard a lot. Yeah, and, and natural gas, um, kind of moving back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, um, the whole emergency heat thing on a heat pump, emergency heat, when it comes on, costs more than, than to run your natural gas. So <laughs> during your temperatures that are, say, below 35, 40 degrees outside, um, obviously the gas furnace is going to do a more efficient job. Um, you can even kind of go twofold here. So if you have natural gas to the home, you can actually do what we call a hybrid or dual fuel system where you have two forms of heat now. You have heat pump heat and you have gas furnace heat. So basically what that entails is telling when you know each one works. So normally you have a switchover point of a, about 40 degrees. So anytime you're above 40, your heat pump is more efficient, so it runs off your heat pump heat. Anytime you're below 40, um, obviously you need that more intense heat, so that's when the gas furnace decides to come on and and do its thing. Um, It's kind of a blend. It's kind of how the house is already set up, Um, so that would be more of a case-by-case basis because cost-effectiveness, it's not really cost-effective to switch from heat pump to gas furnace because then you've got gas piping involved getting a new meter to your house and stuff like that. So that normally offsets every, you know, any kind of savings that you would see. Um, I've had people want to go the other way. They take gas out of the house and go to a straight heat pump. Right. And we've done that uh, you know, on, on a couple occasions, but I, I don't necessarily, I, I wouldn't walk a customer down that path. Whatever you're kind of set up for is normally the best thing to go back with. Okay. Oh, I will let him know. He's been, you know, he likes to save his money, uh, but I think that that's like more work than what we already have going on. So um, it's not a bad trick to have, and it's not a bad question whatsoever. So if he, <laughs> if he wants to talk to me further about it, I, I don't mind. All right, I might just send him your way because sometimes I tell him things and and he doesn't believe me because I'm a girl. 
But I, I keep telling him I think he needs to listen to me on this one. We already have two units here. I don't want to replace everything just because you want gas in our house. It just doesn't make any sense. It is what it is. No, I'll say you, Hunter, you're, you're pretty well versed in this. And I, I know you're probably learning more each and every day. And you're tackling your own projects. So, I mean, it's uh, I'm impressed. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. So we're going to pivot a little bit. We've talked a little bit about my this attic project that I've been working on. So when we bought this house, we had no idea that there was a third floor. Our home inspector, when we closed on the house, he wrote in his report that there is a 200 square foot room on the third floor of the house and there was just no way to get there. So, so we built steps to get up there to get into the space. The space is massive. I can walk around up there. I've really started working on the insulation and trying to get the temperature straight and it's already ductwork and and I think adding a few registers is not going to be like a super difficult situation. But my biggest problem is that I have giant ductwork that runs from one side of the room to the other side of the room and I can't take it up because there's not enough room in the ceiling and I can't move it out of the way because it's not long enough. So I watched this YouTube video and I want you to tell me if this is something that I should or that I can tackle on my own or if I need you to come out to my house. So in this YouTube video, they tell me to cut the outside of the ductwork so that I can pull back the insulated part that goes around the ductwork. I'm, pr- I'm probably using all of the wrong words too, by the way. So bear with me a little bit. So then you pull that part back and then cut the tube on the inside and then add a new section in the middle and then just tape it all back together. Like use something that looks like zip ties to attach it and put it back together. Is that something that I could actually handle on my own or do I need an um, adult? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly handle that on your own if you, if you just watch a couple more videos on how to attach uh, flex duct to, we call that a main trunk line. So the, the main bigger okay. piece is the trunk line and then each one of those uh, flex ducts coming off of it to the respective registers. We call those flex runs or flex leads, whatever they might be. Um, so yeah, you can certainly do that. And, and the zip tie that you're referring to is exactly that. We call them panduits in the field. But um, I, don't, I don't know who came up with that or where that originated from, but that's what we call them. Um, it's basically a three foot zip tie. Well, that's, that's what it looks like on the video. It, it looks like a zip tie. And I'm like, ah, I know what that is. It's a big zip tie. That's all it is. Okay. Um, now they make a special tool that you put over the zip tie. It costs you like 20 bucks. Um, it's got a little lever handle on it. So you basically slide it down, you know, the needle part of the, uh, the zip tie. And uh-huh. then you crank it a couple times, make sure it's tight. And then the little lever on the bottom actually cuts it off flush. So that way you don't, you know, hurt yourself afterwards, you know, uh-huh. moving your hands around. But, um, yeah, so all those things you, you can certainly look up and, and see about tackling yourself. I guess your ma- it sounds like your major issue is, for all intensive purposes, it's the ductwork is sitting in the floor in which you need to use as you know livable space floor right it's just okay. it's, perfect so it's just in the way 
Right, it's in the way. So we can't put it in the floor because obviously you got rafters down there. None of that's going to work. Right. Um, let me ask one question. Do you already have drywall up on no. the angle pieces? There is no drywall. The electricity is supposed to be done this weekend. So after I get obviously electric and the rest of this stuff done, all the insulation and stuff that there's no, but there's no drywall yet. So no. Sight unseen. I would say you need to find out where that main trunk line comes from. Cause it's got to come up from somewhere. Hopefully it's against the wall. Uh, one of the side walls. Um, I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but um, we probably need to try to get that trunk line up into the ceiling. So in other words, you mentioned earlier that, you know, up there um, is probably every bit of uh, almost 10 foot. Is that pretty safe to assume? Yeah. I mean, it's got yeah. So what you would do, but yeah, you're going to make uh you're basically going to use two by fours or whatever and make a ceiling, a little false ceiling there. And you're okay. going to run your trunk line down that apex of the roof right there. Okay. And then you're going to put new leads or tie back into the existing ones down to the second floor. Okay. And I know you probably need a picture for that one, but basically you're going to, your ceiling is not going to be vaulted. In other words, you're going to put in a little, ceiling in between the two pitches and inside that triangle is where your ductwork is now going to run um you'll okay. probably have to box it in coming up to that eight foot mark you'll probably have to box it in with you know whatever you choose drywall wise okay. um but yeah and then you would just tie back into your existing leads and i'm not gonna lie att attics can be when you're doing this type of renovation trying to finish off a third floor that wasn't exactly thought of in that manner when everything right. was done it can be very difficult and some people just decide to say uh let's nix doing the duct work up here and if it doesn't serve that second floor like yours does but some people just say let's nix the duct work and let's put in a mini split as well so mini splits are ductless systems and you have an outdoor unit and an indoor head and it's just mounted just like that you know, try to mount it up high and it provides heating and cooling to that whole room as well. Now okay. I will say it's, it's usually best if you're not like putting up walls and barriers, but if you're using it as like a true bonus room, just an open room, yeah. uh, mini splits, they do phenomenal and they're super efficient. Well, if my, okay. So my entire, we have two units for the house, one for the whole downstairs. The other one does the upstairs and hopefully the third floor. Um, but the inside unit is in the attic, so it takes up part of the floor space anyways, but I figured out how to like frame that out so it's just kind of a little bit out of the way. So it's got all of these like legs coming off of it that go into the individual rooms onto the second floor. So it's it's kind of a hot it's kind of a hot mess. Yeah, you could you could certainly do that. So if your unit's sitting off, I imagine it's not like in the exact middle. It's probably off to one side, hopefully. Okay. Yeah, so it's off to one side. You'd run your ductwork up to that apex of the roof, the new ceiling that you're going to kind of make yourself. And then you're going to uh, reattach or extend those leads because they're more than likely going to get longer because it's right. right now sitting on the floor. Um, 
The other thing is, I mean, you could stand your unit up if it's laying down to gain more room, or you can kind of leave it sitting in that knee wall if that's where it is currently. Yeah, it's right in front of the knee wall. Okay. In front of or in the knee wall? In front of. I'm telling you, they added this way after the fact, so it's in front of the knee wall, which I think is going to... Eventually, once I get everything, the insulation and everything put in there, but I think it's going to help the system run more efficiently because it's going to be an, 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 an enclosed room that's climate control as opposed to just like hanging out in the attic is my hope. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is definitely a true statement. I mean, it, it'll be a little bit more efficient that way. And when this is all said and done, you're, you're obviously putting it in apex of the roof to serve the second floor and what you're building out for the third floor your third floor more than likely will have um sidewall registers so you'll you'll have probably four or so um four registers in the knee wall portion of of the house yes that's my plan perfect yeah you're you're duck when it comes to duck work the biggest thing guys is is sizing you 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 have to make sure that the size you put in can accommodate the amount of volume that needs to pass through that pipe. So, and that, that goes for ductwork, that goes for water piping, um, even for electrical wiring, just obviously right. in a different capacity. Um, so, I mean, all those things are very important. So everything in the HVAC world is done off of CFMs. So cubic feet per minute of airflow. Um, so it's, it's important to match those up Everything's based off of 0.05 static, which you can get very technical, obviously, at this point. But um, they make little slide, slide charts so you can make sure that you match up your, your 0.05 static to what size you actually need. Um, but yeah, no, this, that's, it's probably one of those things, if you're looking at ductwork sizing, to reach out to, a, to an HVAC company to make sure that you really got your hands on, you know, in, the, in the right area. I appreciate it. Now tell the people if they want to call a professional and they don't want Hunter to come fix their HVAC for them, how are they going to get in touch with you? Perfect. Um, thank you very much, Hunter, for saying that. Yeah, we're one hour heating and air once again. And we also have Benjamin Franklin Plumbing and Mr. Sparky Electrical. Um, so kind of three services under one roof. Um, we all use the same building. Um, they're all our employees. And uh, we, we have a good time together. Uh, um, Soon, it's not live yet, but you will be able to go to three services one roof.com. That's coming here in two weeks, which is a pretty cool new website. But right now, we've got one hour rva.com is how to reach us online. Um, you can fill out a submit button and, and ask questions and request service there, or you can give us a shout at 804 355 7573. 804 355 7573. Um, that number actually goes all the way back to our 1976 days when we first started. Oh, how cool is that? It's probably one of those yeah, so it's pretty you're cool. never going to forget. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll never forget it. And it's still in my phone that way, which is kind of crazy. And we've obviously got numerous phone numbers, I could, could, could tell you. But that's the most memorable one for sure, because that's been around the longest. And That uh, is awesome. I love it. Yeah. So. Well, what, do you have any other questions for us today? You want to want them to hear anything else? 
I don't think so. I think that that's all the questions that I uh, got off of my socials and all of my you know own personal questions. Although I may hit you up as I actually get into working on the attic. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining. This is At Home with Hunter. New episodes every other Wednesday on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. If you're on the socials, make sure you give me a follow over there too. At she is Hunter on Facebook and Instagram. You'll be able to see behind the scenes videos from my podcast and from all the projects that I am currently working on in my house and driving my husband crazy with. So thank you, Chris. Again, I'll catch you guys in another two weeks. Have a good one.